welcome to Between the Gutters Podcast. Oh, you want me to say something? Or, oh. uh, <laughs> I, 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 I thought I'm, you were going to complete the... Well, I don't complete you, Albert. Don't don't make it like weird or anything. I don't complete you. Where we where we look at the stories between the panels. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not even our. <laughs> what's the what's the thing? Do I have to write it down for you? I think you do because oh, like <laughs> I never remember it. I never remember it. That's why I always defer to you when when that comes up. No, I can't remember it. <laughs> Where are we looking at the stories between the panels? Within the panels. Within the panels. Shankadonka. 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 We're professionals. <laughs> are we Are we gonna keep this as our intro? Uh. Is you want to do it again? Oh, whatever. Let's just okay, roll well, it. Alright, let's just go with it. <laughs> We've been working on this all morning, so. <laughs> <laughs> it took us. 20 hours of preparation and fasting in order to record this episode. We did a uh, a rigorous purge of our bodies, um, you know, uh, subsisted on an all-liquid diet. We went to a steam room where we purified ourselves of toxins. We are good to go now. Yeah, I believe we are. I, I believe we can finally talk about comics. Yeah. With a clear mind and or a clear heart. at least a comic book-related movie. That's true. Fans and listeners, today we will be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home. Yup, so this movie uh, just came out two days ago as we record this. Uh, Albert and I have both watched it. Uh, We did not watch it together, but we have both watched it. That's right. Weedy, although close as we may be, don't have to do everything together. I do not necessarily complete Albert. Yeah. Nor does he complete me in any sense or shape of the f- form or imagery. Uh, I feel complete in it of myself as I walk through daily life. We are individuals with exactly. our own lives who who don't have to <laughs> do everything together. Yeah. But we do do this podcast yeah. together. Exactly. Okay. I'm good yeah. with that. I'm yeah. Good with that. Nice. That's our that's our intro. Yeah. <laughs> we don't complete each other. We do not complete each other. <laughs> So we're gonna give we're gonna start this out with a brief uh, spoiler, spoiler free. free review of the yeah. movie just so just for those of you that have yet to watch it just so there's something that you can get out of it we're gonna talk about what our thoughts of it are as well as a little bit of the background uh, involving the characters mm-hmm. sound good sounds good so did you like the movie Albert overall what were your thoughts uh. Okay, so I'm just I I, I I'm gonna give a just a brief, not a semi vagueish uh, breakdown of just what the movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty spoiler free, right? Yeah, I mean, as, as yeah, long I, as you can just keep it to what's in the trailer. I exactly, think. Yeah. exactly. It's it's just a story about Spider-Man uh, going on a school trip, and you know, encountering adventures in out in Europe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that after such a massive buildup from something like Endgame and all the Avengers movies that we've been sort of, uh, just kind of hanging by the edge of our seats and clinging to for the past couple of years, Mm -hmm. uh, 
Far From Home was billed as the final movie in the Phase 4, was Phase it? Phase 3. Phase 3. So I do... I enjoyed it. I think it was a fitting end note for for Phase 3. And uh, I, I do think that it... That it's a fun movie. The the interactions are fun. Maybe not all of them. There might be some characters here or there that not everyone necessarily finds appealing. But you know what what movie is perfect to that degree, right? So, uh, but just as an overall experience, it's a fun action adventure story. Mm-hmm. And although there are ties to the Avengers movies, uh, I do think that. It does a good job of overall just bringing closure to that, uh, to this period of Marvel films. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I liked the movie too. It was definitely fun. I think that's probably the key word. Yeah. Uh, and I do think also that the some of the sequences um, were really well done. Like, I would have to say that. Going into the movie, just having seen the trailer and not really reading up on any uh, theories or rumors or anything like that, I, w- I was um, I wasn't really looking forward to Mysterio. Like he was never one of my personal favorite characters. Yeah. Like he was memorable just because he's got an iconic design. costume design. Yeah. Um, but I don't think as a kid I I never really got excited to see Mysterio, but. I think watching this movie, I was very pleased with how they pulled off his abilities and and what he can yeah. do. Uh, again, not getting into any spoilers or anything, yeah. but yeah, I just the visual aspect of it was satisfying yeah. because it it all fit in the context of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I also liked uh, how this movie really captured the essence of spider-man right like there like there's that constant um theme of power and responsibility yeah and i I was i think one thing that i heard from somewhere uh was how in the first spider-man film in homecoming that was kind of a movie where it was spider-man a teenager who wanted to become like an adult you know he wanted to be an avenger he wanted to live up to yeah like what the avengers do um yeah. and there's that that was why tony stark was the one who was sort of uh mentoring him or shepherding him yeah and Sp- spider-man couldn't wait to be like one of the big guns you know and then it wasn't until the end of that movie where he realized that wasn't him at th- that point in his life and then you get to the second movie and it's spider-man still a teenager but he's already been through all these crazy adult experiences where he's battled for the fate of the world the world or you know existence yeah. you know yeah <laughs> and he's seen death he's yeah. he's done all these things but now he just wants to be a kid again he yeah. wants to go on this school trip with his classmates he wants to it's sort of the inverse yeah, of it's the, the first like movie. thematically it's an inverse yeah. which i thought was a nice touch yeah um so, I think if you just like the character of Spider-Man, there's yeah. a whole lot to like about this movie. Yeah. It's going to satisfy you. And if you 
if you don't if you're not really into Spider-Man but you enjoyed all the MCU films, yeah. this is a good coda because it does help you see what the world is like after Endgame because yeah. remember at the end of Endgame, you know, 5 years have elapsed from yeah. Infinity War, so it's the year 2023 yeah. in uh the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting to see how how life is like for all the people there. Okay. Uh, do you, does, would that end our spoiler-free? Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Mysterio, since he was kind of hyped up as, you know, one of the main characters of this film? Okay, so... I'm not going to tell... What, what can you tell us about the comic book Mysterio? Exactly. So I'm not going to necessarily go into what Mysterio was about in the movie, but uh, in the comic, Mysterio was... He, he's one of Spider-Man's original villains. He's an old-school villain, and um, he sort of had a very very simple gimmick. His whole thing was just that he wanted to be an actor, but, you know... He was the, ugly. The fans rejected him. The fans rejected him. Because I, he was ugly. I don't know if he was ugly. They he never... was pretty unattractive. If really? you look at the drawings of his face, really, he was not an attractive man. Really? I, I never... I never got that impression. My like my thing was I always read it as he was just rejected by Hollywood, whatever that means. But... Yeah, because he was unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hollywood's only for beautiful people. Yeah. Um. So, anyways, uh, the thing about uh Quentin Beck, he his name was Quentin Beck, and he was a guy who was trying to make it big in Hollywood, but. The only way that he could find his in was as a special effects wizard, mm-hmm. and he was actually really good at it. Yeah, and but he harbored a lot of resentment towards society as a whole, so he decided to use his technical ability as a as a special effects guru to basically just create these stunts to. I guess just validate himself mm-hmm. is the only way that I can put it. And I think his earliest stunt was he was he he tried to become a doppelganger for Spider Man and just kind of prove uh tried to ruin Spider Man's good name. Uh but Spider Man foiled him and ever since he's just been a guy that's sworn vengeance against Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that pretty much sums up his... Rob Banks and stuff. Yeah, Rob Banks (laughs) and stuff. Kind of uh, a super petty crook. Yeah. Yeah, you know. He he was a super criminal, but he was also super petty. (laughs) Yeah. One of those original super villains created by Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Yeah. And an original member of the old Sinister Six. Yeah. He's a pretty, pretty simple villain. There, yeah. there really isn't much to him. Yeah, I always liked his design because he's got that distinctive yeah. fishbowl helmet. He uh, He's definitely one of those characters that has withstood the test of time. I remember yeah. uh, a while ago when we were recording an episode, I think it was with Zach and Shanice. Uh-huh. Um, we were talking... Oh, I think it was the one where we, where we discussed Stanley's death. Yeah. And... I remember you were saying how you heard somewhere someone pointed out that after uh, Steve Ditko left the book, all Stan Lee kept on writing Spider-Man for a while, but all the villains he created, most of them weren't too memorable, you know, yeah. like the kangaroo, the or kangaroo, something. or the grizzly, maybe, yeah, or just like characters that nobody ever really 
thinks too they highly just never of. Picked up. Yeah. yeah. But uh, with Mysterio, that's an original villain from the Ditko era. Yeah. So he's someone that Marvel constantly goes back to time and again. Yeah. What are some of uh, your more memorable or your favorite Mysterio stories from the comics? So before I go into it, I will. I, I just wanted to piggyback on your earlier thought, which was that I do think... So there are a lot of villains that Spider-Man has. I think he's probably got one of the better rogues galleries. Oh, absolutely. Spider-Man yeah. has one of the absolute best rogues galleries. Yeah. And the thing about him is... You know, with every age, every writer tries to modernize and update these villains. So, um, you know, there are some villains who don't modernize quite as well. Yeah. And uh, I do think that Mysterio is one of the villains that, like you said, I, I think he's gotten a little more attention than your average villain. Um, like, like Electro, I don't think, gets nearly... Uh, like, the only there's that one jam dm story that um that he did for the electro and light the night light the night and i don't it's it's a great story but i don't think that gets nearly as much attention as like something like craven's last hunt yeah or um but mysterio is one of the guys that did get a pretty memorable story or at least memorable to in the zeitgeist of comics fans mm-hmm. so um on that note i will say that Guardian Devil is a comic that is probably one of the high points for Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't even a Spider-Man story. It's not a Spider-Man story. It's a Daredevil story. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I do intend to talk about this specific comic more uh, in another episode. It's actually one of my choices for one of our topics. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I'll, I'll go into it in brief anyways. Uh, it's a story about how Daredevil is... He he one day finds this young girl who dies at his doorstep. And uh, it turns out that he's getting visions that are telling him that she's giving birth to the next Messiah. Or no, the Antichrist, I yeah. think. Yeah, so... Um, well, she she leaves the baby at his doorstep, right? Because he has, he has the baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you're right. He, she leaves the baby at his doorstep. But I think she also dies on his doorstep with the baby, doesn't Probably. she? Probably. Yeah. I don't remember the girl too well. I mean, I remember the baby. I don't remember the mother. Yeah. So the whole thing about the story was that um, Daredevil thinks he's facing like some sort of great spiritual challenge from you know from heaven or hell, and he's he's trying to solve it. But you know, spoilers. The res- what it turns out is that. Mysterio has been orchestrating this whole thing <laughs> and it turns out he's he all the years of using uh, chemicals in his special effects have riddled his body with cancer and all he wants all he wants is validation <laughs> <laughs> and in his final moments before the cancer takes him he decides I'm going to I'm going to take out a supervillain or a superhero and I'm going to leave my mark and they're going to remember me as the guy that basically messed up daredevil so he He gave up on (laughs) spider-man he gave up on spider-man and he decided to like take all all of his remaining resources into just ruining daredevil's life (laughs) it was it was a pretty cool story or i i still i still enjoy that story a lot actually kevin smith and joe quesada yeah exactly it was one of the stories that kicked off the marvel knights era Mm -hmm. man so there's 
there's a lot of uh, historical significance to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any uh, Mysterio stories? Um, that's definitely one of the mo- most memorable ones. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some some of the older stories from the Lee Ditko era, like when he joined the Sinister Six. Yeah. I remember the art being really cool. I I can't really describe the stories too clearly at this moment. But another thing that um, is more recent that people might have more interest in checking out is Spider-Men which was a mini-series from several years ago, written by Bendis. I forget who drew it. It might have been Sarah Pacelli or David Marquez. Uh-huh. But it was a crossover between uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man. This was back when he was still in the Ultimate Universe, and the Peter Parker Spider-Man of Earth-616. Yeah. So in, in that story, Mysterio somehow found a way to break through the multiverse. So he knew about the existence of the ultimate universe yeah and he was basically the reason why uh the peter parker of earth 616 was able to enter the ultimate universe and that was a really really powerful story for spider-man um i mean mysterio was even though he was the antagonist i wouldn't i can't really say in all honesty that he felt like he ever had his moment yeah but in terms of just an example of Mysterio being used in a story. That's one of the more memorable ones. And there's the stuff from the 90s that I grew up on yeah. that I enjoyed that Eric Larson drew where yeah. Mysterio was part of the Sinister Six. Yeah. Like, those are just fun fun comics. I also remember, uh, funny enough, another Kevin Smith comic yeah. from the early 2000s. Uh, the one he did with uh, the Dodsons, uh, Spider-Man and Black Cat. Yeah. Did you, did you ever read that one? I don't think I read that one. Yeah, that one was a series where, like, we never knew when it was going to get finished because there was a massive delay in between yeah, the yeah, issues. Yeah. But I found the trade one day, and Mysterio was in it, or a Mysterio was in it, because yeah. this ca- this happened after Guardian Devil, so yeah. Quentin Beck was dead. Yeah. So there was, in Spider-Man Black Cat, there was this guy... Uh, I think he was a mutant, actually, but yeah. he was a bad guy or a criminal who had the power of teleportation. Yeah. And I think what he ended up doing was he used his money from his, his robberies or his crimes to basically buy at some supervillain auction all of Mysterio's old gear yeah. so he could become the new Mysterio. Yeah. <laughs> Except he had... So he he would have Mysterio's but abilities, but he also had his, his own powers. Yeah. Not... Honestly, I don't really remember that story too well either, but yeah. like that's about the extent of it. I, I can't remember if they ever used him again after that. I just remember it was like Spider-Man, I think Daredevil was in it again, yeah. and Black Cat, and Nightcrawler, because, you know, he's a teleporter. <laughs> <laughs> like, they all somehow yeah. teamed up to beat up this new Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that being said, I will say, I will add that Mysterio, I guess, yeah, he he's a pretty simple character, so there isn't really too much for there wasn't really too much for them to draw on in terms of his own stories for this movie and the comic book Mysterio, other than his person, isn't necessary, isn't really 
yeah, there like there isn't a specific story that I can point to where I could say, "Hey, that was an influence on Far From Home." Yeah, it feels like they just took the general idea of Mysterio and made a completely new story. Yeah, so I I will say that this movie is probably the top, if not one of the top Mysterio stories. Yeah, I would have I to. I would have to agree. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say so. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just nothing against Mysterio. I just. He's, I actually I just, like Mysterio, yeah. so, you know. I think as a kid, it was I just had a hard time wrapping my mind around his powers because he could craft these illusions. But when I was a kid, I was always wondering, wait, if he's if all he does is make illusions, like how come some sometimes the things that he makes can hurt other people yeah. if they're just light shows or holograms? Or how can they be so realistic that... Well, when you know, I was a kid... The way that I looked at it was, he was kind of like arcade, so mm-hmm. they weren't all just light projections or light shows. Like I, I took it as, oh, he was actually creating. He elaborate, had robot like, constructs. Tra- and yeah, things. he had robot constructs. He yeah. had death traps. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that that's how it made sense to me. Do you think Mysterio could beat up Arcade? I like Mysterio more than Arcade, so yeah, I'm gonna go with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> arcade is a. Fairly obscure X Men villain. Yeah, I guess he's he's he's, he's a guy he's who not creates the most obscure, but he's yeah he he's creates been, death traps. Yeah, he's a professional death trap creator. He's a gamester. Yeah, he he's the kind of bad guy who will create a gigantic pinball machine filled with death traps of doom and yeah. throw his enemies in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They should uh, they should do a story where Arcade and Games Master. Team or <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you, do you remember when we were kids? There was a, a video game called Spider-Man and the X-Men versus Arcade. I do. Yeah. I do. I mean, I never played it, but I remember seeing the advertisements for it. Yeah. And it was just so Arcade has a. He's got a. He's got a like a, a place called Murder World. Yeah. I think where where he where all his death traps are. So. Logically speaking, outside of there, he's pretty pretty defenseless. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. It's like a, a giant theme park of death. Yeah, is, is basically what it is. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so that thus ends our spoiler free review. Unless you have something else to add. Uh, no, nothing else. We okay. can get into the movie now if you want. Okay, from this point on, we're it's all. Sp- spoilers yeah. and we're gonna actually talk about the movie and you know it's on you <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so do you want to talk about the actual uh plot of the movie like yeah so the plot of the movie is simple enough uh i'll try to keep it fairly bare bones assuming that you're listening to this because you've already seen the movie yeah. but it's spider-man uh peter parker and his classmates uh dealing with the aftermath of what happened after uh, everybody after the, came back? The snap. After the snap. Yeah, yeah. They call it the blip for some reason. It's, it's yeah. a funny way to... It makes something so serious sound so trivial yeah. in a way. But... Well, okay, not to like stray from the the, the, um, convers- the, the, the plot synopsis summary. that yeah. you're giving. But yeah, the they even treat it fairly comically because there's yeah. the scene where they yeah. talk about it... 
So they, the original footage is of the snap, and if you've seen the Avengers movie, you'll know that the snap is when half the world's population just disappears. Yeah. So they showed footage of uh, a crowded gym and like people just disappearing in in the gym, which yeah. was a fairly traumatic looking experience. Yeah. But then the blip occurred, and all of a sudden it's the same gym and they're in the middle of a basketball game and suddenly all these people just show up and they're just running into each <laughs> yeah. other and, and it's it's a pretty comical way to address that you know it, it kind of reminds me of the conversation we had when we were talking about endgame so does that mean if everybody reappeared exactly where they were yeah. five years ago people who were flying in airplanes that crashed do they just reappear in the sky and like <laughs> fall to their deaths <laughs> that's a good question I don't know <laughs> Like, part of me wants to be like, uh, maybe they would just appear where the wreckage is or or the crash site is. Like what what if what if somebody built a memorial on the crash site? Would they just appear superimposed <laughs> into like some other matter? That would suck. <laughs> that would totally yeah. suck. Yeah. I guess you, I guess we just have to hope that when Hulk made this his snap, he just wished that everybody would appear yeah. safely or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. But. Yeah, Don't overthink it. it. <laughs> Imagine how, how crazy it would be if you were just a normal person walking around in 2023 and all of a sudden all these other people just start flying down from the sky and just <laughs> smacking themselves or turning into pancakes on the yeah, sidewalk. Yeah, yeah, That would be pretty traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, yeah, it's like the end of their school year and he and his class are getting ready for a trip to go to Europe. Yeah. Uh Spider-Man is also because his, because Aunt May knows that Peter is Spider-Man. She kind of takes advantage of that and and help uses him to help her in her charity work, which is pretty cool touch because that's something that Aunt May was doing in the comics yeah. uh, in the past decade or so of worth of stories. Yeah. Um. So the kids end up going to Europe, uh, and. During this time, Nick Fury and Maria Hill are investigating these uh, catastrophic occurrences where it's revealed that these elemental yeah. entities are destroying... The revelation is that there's yeah elemental entities that are crossing over from a multiverse mm-hmm. and that there's a new hero in town by the name... Well, he doesn't have a name initially, yeah. but... It's Quentin Beck Mysterio, yeah. and he's coming to. He came, he crossed over from one of these other dimensions and is here to save ours and mm-hmm. avenge his family and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, so he ends up working with Fury, and then Fury ends up uh, roping in Peter to be a part of the the job. And what the other thing that ends up happening that, or the other thing that's important to the plot is that. Peter gets bequeathed these pair of glasses from Tony Stark. Tony Stark wished him to own these glasses that are also uh, keyed into his uh, retina sa- retina signature and <clears throat> allow him to control this army of drones in this sa- Stark satellite yeah. in space. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how the story kicks off. That's act one. That's act one, yeah. yeah. And then, should we go into the rest of it? or? Yeah, we can... Okay. Yeah, so in Act 2, we eventually figure out, or what ends up happening is uh, they defeat all the elemental monsters, and uh, as we mentioned in the earlier summary, uh, the spoiler-free summary, uh, Peter Peter in this version of the movie is very much 
uh, a kid who has seen a lot of adult situations and he really just wants to go back to being a normal kid Mm -hmm. dealing with neighborhood stuff. Mm -hmm. So at this point, um, getting those glasses from Tony Stark is really more of a burden for him, maybe more than he can handle after, you know, the past five years of things that he's had to deal with and him and Mysterio go off and they defeat these elementals. But he sees something in Quentin Beck that, reminds him of Tony Stark and he decides that this this man was the is the hero that they've needed mm-hmm. so he decides to um give him the 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 glasses that give him access to this satellite defense system with all these drones and he he assigns access to Quentin Beck um Spider-Man walks out of there thinking you know great you know, the world has a defender now and, you know, life is good. And it turns out that Quentin Beck has been orchestrating this all along and everything that we've seen are all liar. holograms. He's a liar! Liar! <laughs> so the real Quentin Beck is actually a former employee of Tony Stark who just holds a grudge against him for using mm-hmm. his hologram technology. And it's not just him. He has a team of other disgruntled uh, Stark employees. And they've all combined all of their technical expertise as well as their uh, resources mm-hmm. to basically get a hold of... I forget, what's what's the name of the satellite system? Edith. Edith. To get a hold of this Edith satellite defense. Even Dead, I'm the Hero. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> Edith stands for Even Dead, I'm the Hero, which is a nice cheeky little touch from That's Tony funny. Stark. Yeah. So he decides, uh, so once, uh, Peter gives him these glasses, um, they're basically reveling and celebrating because now we're going to use this to build me up as the greatest world that the hero has ever known. And on top of that, you know, I imagine that they're going to try to get rich off of it, off of it, you know, Tony Stark rich basically. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's basically the rest of the story is Spider-Man figuring out eventually that. Uh, Spider-Man along with Mary Jane figuring out that Quentin Beck MJ uh, MJ sorry (laughs) Quentin uh, Peter Parker and MJ figuring out that Quentin Beck is actually a hustler trying to use this technology and him trying to make up for his mistake Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so that that's a pretty good summation of the story yeah yeah Uh, so what are your thoughts on like, is there any particular thing that stood out to you about this movie? I think one thing that stood out was how well it captured the essence of Spider-Man. Yeah. To be honest, uh, before actually watching the film, I was, I was, I mean, I, I was pretty sure that I would enjoy it. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't really know how I feel about having Spider-Man go to Europe. Like having yeah. an entire movie where he... He leaves New York because I kind of wanted him, you know, New York is his stomping grounds. Yeah. And that, that's when I think of Spider-Man, I think of New York. That's just where he is, where he belongs. And a lot of times in the comics, anytime you see him go somewhere else, it's just kind of lame. It's hokey. It's hokey. Yeah. Way hokey. Yeah. But the way the movie played it was, it, they did it in a way that worked. Yeah. It, it was, it worked. And not only that, um, they were able to capture that 
his internal conflict, you know, the yeah. the whole battle between power and responsibility where he has this power, but he doesn't necessarily want the power. Yeah. But he knows that because he has it, there is responsibility. Yeah. So he's, he's, you know, just, just seeing him battle inside his own mind um, in, and emotionally about whether he really wants the, to keep these glasses and have that power. Yeah. Or even just the simple fact of not wanting to be Fury's uh, soldier in yeah. this war. Uh, you know, he it, it's, again, it, it just goes back to that idea of him wanting to stay, yeah. uh, with, stay doing the things that teenagers do, that yeah. kids do. Just enjoy a vacation, talk to a girl that he likes, um, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And if he continues doing all the Spider-Man stuff... The other part of his life that he really cares about is going to be compromised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's just that constant ongoing tension where he has to, he knows he has to do the right thing, which is usually using his powers to save lives, even though what he wants to do is just live his life and just be a kid and enjoy that. It's sort of, it's sort of a cornerstone of a good Spider-Man story. Yeah. Even way back in the day, in those original Stanley Ditko stories, that was just a big part of yeah. his internal conflict. Yeah. So, I think putting that on screen is the perfect theme for him. Yeah, you, know? you have to do that. Yeah, and, and that's why I think the movie works. Any story that ignores it, yeah, just that's not Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just this concept of him doing the right thing, and then even though he does the right thing some part of his own personal life ends up suffering whether it's his uh, relationship his relationships his or or friendships or whatever you know yeah. and and i guess in this movie it was it was mainly the thing with him and mj that was yeah. kind of driving that tension where every time he would have to ditch his classmates to to do the spider-man thing he was losing out on the girl that he liked yeah exactly because there was another dude that was trying to holler at her yeah yeah um, another thing that I really liked in terms of, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily a theme, but, uh, watching this movie, oddly enough, it made me think of Iron Man 3. Huh. How so? Because in Iron Man 3, uh, Iron Man 3 followed up Avengers, I believe, and it was a movie about yeah. how Tony Stark went into the, the rift and yeah. he came back out and although he saved the world... It was about how Tony Stark had post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And I really felt like this was a movie that sort of mirrored it because mm. it was about... There There was a large part of the movie was dedicated to the fact that Peter Parker came back from this experience and he, he came back changed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, more so than everybody else, if only because of how close he was to Tony Stark and because of his superhero life. Mm -hmm. So I do think, I don't know if they dedicated a lot of time to it, but you know, between that and the, the elements of the story that are about him dealing with living up to, the reality of a new world where there is no Tony Stark and that he might have to be Tony Stark Mm -hmm. or, you know, he might have to take this burden onto himself. All of those things combined just kind of 
add to the emotional like depth of yeah what's going on in Peter's mind and in his heart. There's a lot of yeah. uh, emotional weight and <clears throat> exactly and, exactly and uh, these emotional burdens that he's placed on himself, knowing yeah. that or just believing <clears throat> that he has to live up to the legacy that yeah. Tony Stark foresaw in him. Yeah. So yeah, so there's there's all sorts of um there's all just all sorts of internal turmoils going on right there, you know? Like like I said, so you have him dealing with living up to Stark's legacy, him dealing with the trauma of mm-hmm. just everything that's happened, including Tony Stark's death. And it, I I personally thought it just makes for great storytelling. And, and yeah, and then there's also him dealing with just wanting to be a normal kid, you know? Yeah. Just, that's way more than your average teenage kid <laughs> yeah. should be dealing with, you know? Totally. Yeah. I really do think they did a great job, not only in this movie, but in Homecoming also, how they uh, blended the superheroic aspects along with his teenage life aspects, the whole high school thing, yeah. um, Aunt May and, and everything that's going on at home. Because I think that's... A, like. When you have when you tell Spider Man stories when he's a teenager, you kinda have to include all of that. Like you have to have a supporting cast of his classmates. Yeah. Uh you gotta have Aunt May. I I kinda wish Aunt May was in more scenes. Yeah. She was kinda just there at the beginning to say goodbye and then to welcome him back. The movie. Yeah. yeah. But like his his classmates were just a constant presence in, in the film, even though other than MJ, most of them didn't really have a whole lot to do with with the plot. Yeah. I think they just kept it emotionally grounded. Like, seeing them over and over, along with his teachers, just reminded you that, yeah, every time he's doing his Spider-Man thing, um, you know, Fury's taking him to all these different yeah, places, yeah, yeah. his friends are getting in, endangered. Yeah. Um, and that's not cool. Like He that, doesn't there's, exist there's, in a vacuum. Yeah, there's, there's a... A heaviness to his duty and there, yeah. there's there's all this stuff that he has to think about when he's fighting the bad guys or or these elemental things he's he's yeah. got to he's constantly thinking where his friends are and how he can protect them <clears throat> even the interactions between them are pretty entertaining like that whole thing with that one kid who also was hollering at mj yeah there was something entertaining about that guy yeah, With I mean, his perfect teeth and and all that. <laughs> it was uh, I guess it sort of reminds me of like an '80s film where you have the the the, the duel for the girl's affection or yeah. something like that. It's it's kind of corny, but it's it works. charming yeah. in some way. Yeah, so it, it's entertaining. Yeah. yeah, and it it fits in Spider Man's world perfectly. Yeah, and even even something as as uh minor as Flash Thompson, right? Like he. He's got a really minor role in the movie, uh-huh. but even then, like the way that his relationship is with it, the way his relationship is with Peter, yeah, it like they they have this antagonistic relationship. But it's when you think back to how the comics were, right? Like Flash yeah. Thompson was this jock bully who would physically pummel Peter and and whatnot. Yeah, but now like it's it's like a modern day version of of that of relationship. That you know, like you know. <laughs> I don't like I haven't been in high school for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if jocks are still a thing or if people still give wedgies and stuff. Yeah. I mean, but I think 
I think high school's still a microcosm for society at large, so, yeah, like, you and, know, you still have tribes that uh, manifest. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they manifest around athletes and jocks who pick on other kids, but, uh, you know, nowadays it's, it's more about having money and social status, like yeah. whether it's having more followers on, on social media or just having more money. You know, then somehow gives you the right to talk crap to people. Yeah. I was I was reading a news article uh, recently about Fortnite and how it's influenced oh, right. uh, how it's influenced uh, social status in middle schools and and high schools. Yeah, the kids that can buy the best downloadable content. Yeah, are the, the, ones the ones that, that buy the get skins. Bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. And, and apparently, uh, if you if you're using a default skin, it's people will pick on you yeah like they'll they'll call you uh, a normie or, or a default or something i think i think they just call you a default it's like an insult now that is it's some, weird uh, right blade runner stuff right there yeah you're just a default you don't you didn't spend five bucks on this skin you yeah. know or whatever i don't even know how much skins cost i'm, I'm i don't spend money on Fortnite. i don't even i barely play Fortnite. i haven't played Fortnite in a really long time because right. we're PUBG guys here yep <laughs> That's right. And I don't even spend money on PUBG, <laughs> a game I actually like. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, like speaking to to that element of the movie. Um, when I watched it with my friends, I one of they I don't think they liked it as much as I did. Well, no, I I don't think I know they didn't like it as much as I. You did. know they did, <laughs> yeah. But one of my one of my friends, um, what he mentioned, one of the things that he didn't like was that. He didn't like the amount of attention the film gave to the supporting cast. And I I do think that that's a big part of a Spider-Man movie. Like, if you've ever read a Spider-Man comic, uh, a lot of his stories revolve around the people around him. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of names that we can pull out. Names that we recognize for those of us who read Spider-Man comics, you know? Yeah. Um, Ned Leeds, uh, Gwen Stacy, uh, Mary Jane, Flash Thompson, Norman Osborn, uh, Harry Osborn, mm-hmm. like Betty Brant. Betty Brant. There's just a ton of characters. Then um, those supporting cast members just add to... I, I, Yeah, I do think that they add to what makes a Spider-Man story, you know? Yeah. Like... Spider-Man doesn't exist in a vacuum, and I don't think a good Spider-Man story is one where he's just Spider-Man dealing with Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. You know, like, when they started writing him originally, the point of it was, underneath the mask, he was a kid just like the rest of us. Yeah. And he was juggling the stresses of his personal life, even though he had to deal with these overall significantly larger stresses of the city being under the threat of danger. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that was one of the big hooks of Spider-Man when he was first created back in the sixties. Cause up to that point, yeah. pretty much every superhero was an adult, perfect. a perfect adult. <laughs> yeah. Um, Superman was, yeah, was the only teen Superman. <laughs> yeah. The only teen heroes you saw were the kids sidekicks. Yeah. But here was, here was a teenager whose superhero name was Spider-Man. He wasn't Spider-Boy. Yeah. Or... Spider-Adolescent. Or what? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I want to see that comic. (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Can you put those down? (laughs) They're three for a (laughs) dollar. Yeah, he was... He was... 
a superhero who had a life outside of his costume and his life outside of his costume was far from perfect. Yeah. In fact, there was always that uh, dichotomy between Spidey and Peter because when he puts on that Spider-Man costume, he's super confident. confident. <laughs> he's cocky. Yeah. You know, he's, he's making wisecracks and, and toying with his foes. When he's Spider, when he's Peter Parker, he's the guy who gets picked on. He's he's this really meek kid who yeah. who's just awkward and and definitely not someone you would imagine could ever be Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it is important, I think, especially when you're doing stories about teenage Spider Man, which yeah. the movies are. You know, you got to have that supporting cast. You got to have scenes of. Him and his classmates and and school and yeah. the things you gotta that, believe that he's a kid. <laughs> yeah, you got and you gotta believe that he deals with the things that a kid deals with, and that's the stuff that kids deal with is yeah your your friends and your and your relationships at school. Like for for a lot of kids, you know that's that's like your whole world is exactly is is your school exactly. Um. Yeah. So the other thing that I enjoyed about it was I do I want to talk about Quentin Beck Mysterio mm-hmm. uh, Jake Gyllenhaal I think he did an excellent job oh, that was, he did a wonderful job yeah. acting even he, even when he was just acting to act or he his character was acting yeah. I still believed that dude like yeah. that was really masterful work exactly so okay the funny thing is when they introduced Mysterio He's the hero. He's he's a noble hero. Mm-hmm. And even though me and Drew know comics, and like I don't know if your experience was the same as mine, so I'm just gonna speak purely yeah. from my experience. But watching this in the back of my mind, while I'm watching the movie, I'm telling myself, "There's gonna be a turn. There's no way that Mysterio is gonna is this. He's there's no way he's this he's heroic not noble guy." that they're portraying right now. But even knowing that, even watching this movie and knowing that, those scenes where I'm watching him, I believe that he's that guy. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah, Which is really funny. It's really weird, but, like, it's a testament to how good of a job Jake Gyllenhaal does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even watching the trailers over the past couple months, right, when you see Mysterio fighting these, these elementals, in my mind, my first thought was like dude those can't be real elementals those yeah. those are those have to be just tricks that he created so he could look like a hero yeah, yeah like yeah. that was my first thought when i saw that yeah. and, and and then we were i'm watching the movie sitting through it and and then seeing those scenes where he takes his mask off and he just has these conversations with peter right whereas yeah. every time every time peter's talking to fury yeah fury's basically giving him like like the rundown <laughs> where it's like you gonna do this or not? Like you're just my tool. Like yeah, you get you don't have a choice in what you're doing. You just you better do this or or else. You know it's yeah, like yeah. Nick Fury is not. He wasn't being like he's sympathetic not, yeah, to exactly to Peter's teenage life. He's not dealing with uh, Peter with kid gloves at all. He wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then to see uh, Mysterio Quentin Beck. Trying to level with him and just trying to be a mentor. Yeah, and talking to him respectfully. Yeah. It, it was like I, I wanted to believe that he was a good person. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing about it is, and this is a credit to the writers, like the way that they set it up, it makes 
I, I think it hits all the emotional notes just perfectly because here we are, you have Peter Parker who's just lost his mentor, mm-hmm. Tony Stark, and then this other guy just shows up in his life and he's just hitting all these emotional notes that resonate with what he needs at this particular moment in time. Yeah. So he needs someone who's like a big brother to him. He needs someone who's going to be a hero that he can mm-hmm. look up to. And Quentin Beck is just doing all these things. Yeah. You know? And the, and the, the scene that like tops it for me, and it, it's something that I hadn't even really thought of until I saw it. But so... Jake Gyllenhaal has like a beard and mustache in this scene or throughout the movie when they introduce him. So I wasn't really thinking about that too much, but when he's hanging out with Peter Parker, after they defeat the elementals, um, Peter Parker, when they're in the bar, bar, Peter Parker reveals to him that Tony Stark has left him these glasses that give him access to Edith, this satellite defense system. Mm -hmm. And he puts on these glasses and he's just like, yeah, uh, Quentin's looking at him and he's like, yeah, they don't look good on you. And Peter goes, you try them on. And he puts them on and subconsciously I'm looking at that and I go, dude, he looks like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you had that same thought, but like... I, yeah, I, I, I was, I didn't think, oh, he looks like Robert Downey Jr. I was like, oh, that reminds me of Tony Stark, like yeah, his yeah, posture yeah. and, and yeah. like the way that he carries himself. Yeah, the way that he's just sort of loose and yeah. light, right? Yeah. And again, that's a, another testament to just Jake Gyllenhaal's like ability as an actor, and but also to the writers for putting that scene in there. Yeah. Because Peter Parker is at an emotionally fragile state, and him seeing this, it just fills him with confidence, and it makes me believe that he can make that decision to go this is the guy that the world's been looking for. He's going to be the next Tony Stark. He's going to be the next Iron Man. And when he makes that decision to go, okay, I want to give access to the Edith satellite to Quentin Beck. Like we believe it. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I totally, I'm, I totally wanted him to be a good guy after seeing him act like that. You know, it, it was like, it's like having Jake an older Gyllenhaal brother acting, or something. Yeah, his, his <laughs> acting was just... It was so good. I mean, he was playing a character who was acting. Yeah. And the I believed that character's act. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, it, it's weird to to think of the different levels to it. It's but, pretty meta. <laughs> but yeah, because like, like, he's an actor, or Jake Gyllenhaal's an actor, but he's playing a character who's acting. Yeah. And... and like it, the way that it just carried through on the screen, I was like, "Dude, that is really skillful." Like yeah. I can actually, even th- knowing what I know about comics, I actually want to believe that Quentin Beck is a good person. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like he's he's the one who's a big contrast to Nick Fury. You know, he's he's the one who's treating Peter respectfully and with sympathy and empathy. Yeah, and and watching out for him and and listening to his problems not just dismissing his problems yeah i wanted to believe so that being said like we 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 have to talk about the turn a little bit yeah so the revelation and it's funny like i i will say that the first half of the movie was a little less interesting to me i mean like the quentin beck stuff was interesting but the stuff about the elementals wasn't was a little slower for me and yeah i will say that once the revelation comes through is this part of the movie where I really become engaged with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that being said, there are scenes where once he makes the turn, like he's he's still a good villain, but there there were scenes that I was like, oh, that was a bit much. That were that was a little bit over. He was hamming it up. Yeah. So like, there's the scene where so after he gets the glasses, Peter walks out of the bar. Yeah. And we see everything start to dematerialize around him, yep. and Quentin Beck is just. He is just reveling in the fact that he has just tricked Peter Parker. Yep. And, like, he jumps up and he's just like, woo, yeah! And he's just, like, talking all this smack. Giving his victory speech. He's giving his victory speech. And, like, that that scene was probably one of the weaker scenes in the movie for me. I mean, like, I get what the point of the exposition was to explain, like, everybody's role. And, yeah. But, like, there was something about that that was a little, eh, you know? <laughs> just him kind of saying... Billy here who did this and Jenny who did that and just kind of like <laughs> running down this long list of how everybody contributed to it. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, that, yeah. I guess that was just the scene for purely for exposition. Yeah. Um, there was also a scene later on when they were rehearsing their attack. Um, and then he ended up getting, having the, his, drones get their guns pointed at his own friends yeah like that like that was that might have been a little over the top yeah like just in terms of i I understand that they're showing his madness yeah so that makes sense but but at the same time i think it would have been fine if they just played it more subtly where he didn't actually turn on his friends like to the point where he's threatening to kill them yeah but they could have you know like it was already obvious that this guy is crazy and this guy he could have been Has menacing without heart. actually, like, threatening to kill them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying when 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 you bring up some of the 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 I don't know if, um, if they're really failings, but just some of the things it was just that we an noticed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it it, it could have been. I, it didn't make me hate Jake Gyllenhaal. I I still thought yeah. he was great in the movie. I still thought he was masterful. Yeah. Um, it but it was just something where it's like, I don't know if. That's the direction I prefer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not something that's going to ruin my enjoyment of the movie. Yeah, yeah, The other thing that... The other scene that is probably my favorite scene in the movie, because I think it's a true Mysterio scene. Mm. Yeah. I think I know what you're about to say. So, um, as we mentioned earlier, Mysterio is this character who, when originally conceived, was just this guy who had a bunch of, like death traps and a bunch of uh like uh light special shows. effects and light shows and smokes and mirrors and things like that right yeah. and i think as a character he's someone hard to capture or he's someone hard to envision in real life yeah because it the the logistics in creating something like that would just be impossible right yeah like if he had to create like a giant smoke creature or a giant rock monster let's say right yeah um i assume that me and you would imagine that he would have to get there a week beforehand <laughs> and he'd have to you know set everything up and you know just carefully orchestrate it make sure that nobody finds the robot yeah. and it, it'd just be the logistics would just be impossible that's a, that's to, a crazy amount of work for yeah. a very minor payoff yeah exactly right <laughs> he's probably the most inefficient supervillain ever yeah but I think one of the modern or the the touches that this movie makes that makes that okay, that makes Mysterio believable, is these drones. Yeah. With all these holograms. 
And uh, the fact that he can just do light projections and that they also have weapon systems attached to him make mm-hmm. it so that these holograms actually show the effects of the damage that they're doing or they're able to follow through on the effects of the damage they're doing. Yeah. It makes his power, it makes his abilities more reasonable. Yeah. So there's this one scene where Spider-Man meets up with Nick Fury to tell him that, hey, Quentin Beck is a fraud. He's a liar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and he's trying to get Nick Fury to basically bring the brunt of shield resources down on Quentin Beck before he can do some serious damage. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turns out that Quentin Beck has already cut him to the chase and he's impersonating Nick Fury Mm -hmm. and he tricks him into going to this abandoned, uh, like, abandoned building and he uses the drones to run a projection of just all kinds of fanciful scenes. Just... So it makes it look almost like it's a dream sequence. Yeah, he put Peter through the ringer on that exactly. one. That's the scene I was thinking about too. And that it's that's, a great scene. It was a really well done scene. Yeah. Just the choreography and the way that it was cut. Yeah, like that's how I want to see Mysterio. Exactly. Like if I read more comics where Mysterio's powers came across in that manner, yeah, I would have taken him a lot more seriously. Exactly, because exactly. he has the power. He was driving him mad essentially. Yeah. He was using the projections to create visual imagery that would really hit Peter Parker emotionally where it hurt the most. Yeah. 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 And it was he was doing that. It was hitting him emotionally and and as a as a viewer in the audience. It's just visually visually amazing to amazing. look at. Yeah. yeah. Like there was like people I heard people talking how Doctor Strange had good visuals, but I think this tops anything I saw in Doctor Strange. Yeah. Like the way that, Yeah. The way that Yeah. It conveyed uh, his threat. Yeah. The way that it also had that personal storytelling aspect, where where it wasn't just effects just for the sake of showing off, but each of the different cuts and effects had a purpose in breaking Spider-Man. You know, yeah. and 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 he was struggling through it, uh, barely escaped with his life after getting hit by the train. But I will I will say also. Um, I was watching this movie with Shanus, right? And I think it was during that scene, or maybe even... Yeah, I think it was during that scene, but I kind of leaned over to him and I was like, hey, wait a second. How come his spider sense isn't, like, helping him navigate all this? Because that was something that that I thought of during the movie. Um, Because if he's fighting... Usually whenever Spider-Man fights things that aren't really threatening, like, his spider sense will inform him. But then, like, later on, at, by the end of the movie, we were talking about it, and, and um, Shane has pointed out, yeah, you know, they did address his yeah, spider sense I, in the movie. I noticed that, too, because I remember watching it, and I was thinking the same thing you were, yeah. but at the end of the movie, and this was something that I nudged my friend about. The Peter Tingle. That's yeah. <laughs> well, the thing was that they mentioned that his spider his spider sense was off or it wasn't acting at full ability at this point, but they hadn't mentioned it earlier in the movie. Well, there was that scene early in the movie before he was, when on May threw the banana, she threw a banana at him and, and she was like, you could dodge bullets. Why couldn't you dodge that banana? But in my mind, 
I didn't think there was anything wrong yeah. with his spider sense yeah. because his spider sense warns him of danger yeah. and his Aunt May is not a danger to him. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. in my mind, I was like, that makes sense because yeah. she wasn't, she didn't have hostile intentions. Yeah, that's yeah. that's his Th- aunt. No, I had the same, that was exactly what I was thinking too. So that threw me off because yeah. it, didn't, it didn't feel like it was out of the ordinary. It was just, oh, like even, even if his aunt was throwing a banana, it knew that his aunt was just throwing a banana, yeah. which wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. So there was no reason for his spider sense yeah. to go off. Like if, if yeah. it had been Flash Thompson throwing a banana at him, yeah. I think it would have gone off and he, he would have dodged it. Yeah. But that's his Aunt May. Yeah. So I kind of, I do kind of wish that they had set something more clear earlier on. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think what, what Shane has pointed out was that he was... The reason why his spider sense or his Peter Tingle yeah. <laughs> wasn't being opti- wasn't optimal um, was because he was wrestling with those mental hurdles, the mental doubts. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I, makes. I sense, think that's actually. how they tried to explain it. Where there was that scene when he was talking with Happy, where Happy was trying to like tell him, "You got to trust your Peter Tingle." Yeah, <laughs> which is a pretty funny it's phrase. It's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. <laughs> that was that was yeah. very amusing. Yeah. So I, I think. I think it's more I, about his self doubt. Yeah, it was more yeah. about his self doubt. Yeah. So that's the that's how I can uh, reconcile reconcile that, that in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Okay. That make that makes sense. I, I I find that acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Um. My other friend that I watched it with, he uh, he also didn't enjoy the movie as much, and uh, one of the things that he said was. He so he didn't like Mysterio as a villain, like period. So I don't think for this movie or just in principle. I, th- I think just in general. Okay. Uh, so I think, I think the idea of Mysterio was sort of lame to him. Okay. And uh, and one of the things that he mentioned was one of the things that he didn't like about it. At the end, was there was no boss fight between like Mysterio and Peter Parker or Spider Man. What do you mean? So he was saying that oh they were on the bridge yeah. and there was all that special effects stuff but he was like well they were fi- he was fighting the drones but that's the thing he was like Spider-Man fighting the drones isn't the same as him having like a battle with Mysterio and the thing that I was countering that with was that well they addressed that in the movie because they were saying that Mysterio is just a regular dude yeah if Spider-Man fought him. That's not much of a fight. He would just crush him, you know? So, well, But then what if Mysterio is the kind of guy who can take a punch from Spider-Man and survive? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like, I, I, I think I kind of get what he was saying. He wanted to see, like, a battle where Mysterio was jumping around and flying on a smoke cloud. Kind of like a Green Goblin battle or something uh-huh. like that. But... I don't think every Spider-Man or even every superhero movie needs that. Like, Mysterio has always been more of a villain. He's more of a cerebral villain. He's more of a cerebral villain, exactly. It was always more about him using uh, his technology. He's kind of like a more visual version of the Riddler in the sense that it's more about him using his ability to trick you into questioning what's real and what's not yeah right yeah so so that final scene when um when quentin beck is laying on the ground and he's asking spider-man for help and spider-man walks up to him and then he just 
senses something and he turns and he grabs mm-hmm. Quentin Beck and he realizes that there's still one hollow projector working and it's projecting this image of Quentin Beck on the ground when in reality Quentin Beck is standing right next to him and he's about to pull the trigger to shoot him in the head. Yep. Like that's yep. that's a I think that's an accurate representation of Mysterio. Yeah. And I have no problem with that. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Um cuz it it would have it would have been hollow if they actually had Spider-Man fighting Mysterio in his costume, flying around, shooting his blast, yeah. because it... That was all it, fake anyway. Yeah, it was all fake anyway, so yeah. it wouldn't really make quite as much sense as Spider-Man destroying the drones that were his last line of defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to... Do you have any other thoughts on that? Or No. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention was um, about Mysterio. The, the thought I had was that Mysterio originally as a concept, I think he's very much a product of the time that he was created Mm -hmm. in the sense that at the time, you know, movie special effects were kind of beginning to come to a big thing, you know, like it wasn't really the golden age of Hollywood anymore where you were seeing movies like Casablanca or whatever. It was like, oh, we're beginning to see these sci-fi movies that have pretty impressive special effects and, yeah you know so they were like let's let's build a super villain who can do special effects yeah and i think a lot of the hesitation that people have about mysterio on the big screen is how do you make that real yeah and i think that the i think it makes more sense now more than ever especially when you put into consideration drones mm-hmm. and their prevalence in society uh, in in the world yeah and we might not necessarily be quite at that point in our technology where the drones are that impressive yeah but it's not so far off that it's not believable i mean yeah i mean drones are have, heavily weaponized yeah we even have holograms again not necessarily to that degree but you know we can see tupac <laughs> <laughs> True that. Yeah, True so that. I do think that Mysterio, like, when I was talking to my friends and they 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 weren't really into the idea of Mysterio, I do think Mysterio now more than he he's someone as a villain that we can do now more than we would have been able to do ten years ago. Yeah, and you I know? think that's why when I was a kid I wasn't crazy about. Mysterio either yeah. or I always thought that he was one of Spider-Man's weaker villains I always had a hard time understanding how he could like you said earlier with that example of going to to make a rock robot or something to make a monster yeah like it, it just seems like so much work to yeah. have to do all that he would have had to shown up he would have had to have like a hundred man crew putting together yeah. this giant uh, animatronic robot. Yeah. Like, and it would know, just get destroyed in 10 yeah. seconds anyway. Yeah. We've been to Universal Studios. I remember the old King Kong ride <laughs> and like how, you know, that was a thing. You know, yeah. that was special effects at the time. Yeah. But but now with, with the advent of technology, drones and uh, holograms, again, like you were saying, like I don't, we're, our technology may not be the same te- level as what we saw in the movie, but, um, it's it's science fiction that isn't like that far removed exactly. from reality. Exactly. Like I can picture 10, 20, 30 years from now, well maybe not being on that level, but there'll there'll be something more impressive certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. 
Totally. So, yeah, uh, like, I, 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 I do want to take this podcast as a chance to, de- to defend Mysterio as mm-hmm. a villain and as someone that's believable for the movies. Yeah. Because, yeah, I was uh, discussing it with my friend after, and he was saying well, they could have done Dr. Octopus again or they could have done Green Goblin again or something. And, yeah, I guess that's true. But they could have done the kangaroo. They could have done the kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I but I do think Mysterio deserves his chance in the limelight. Yeah, he's know? a classic Lee Ditko creation. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm never opposed to giving those characters another chance to shine. Yeah, and his design is just—it's a great design. Yeah, yeah, it's fun, man. Yeah, like it's pretty original. Yeah. You know, the the fishbowl helmet is... I, I love Distinctive. Yeah. 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 What were your thoughts on uh, the other aspect of the of the plot, namely Peter and MJ? Oh, yeah. The whole... That whole plot going on throughout the movie? I think it's a fun... I, I, th- I thought it was fun. I had a lot of fun with it. You know, um, a big part of Spider-Man's mythology is... Again, if he's a teenager and he's dealing with teenage stuff, uh, what's bigger to a teenager than, you know, the girl he likes? Yeah. You know? Um, all that stuff was kind of the comedy relief building up to it, but it's pretty excellent once we get to the final payoff, which yeah. is, hey, they actually like each other and, you know, guy she, gets girl. She learns that he's Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I like their chemistry. I thought they worked well together. Like I believe that they like each other. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that? I think the scene at the end when they're on that bridge and they're having their heart to heart. Yeah. I think in the back of my mind, I was just like, "Dude, what are you doing? Put your mask on. Anybody can see you." <laughs> yeah. Like. It it kind of shocked me how long they had that conversation and he had his mask yeah. off because they're in public, uh, and and it, it made me question like where, what I mean I can understand people running away from from everything but yeah. still it's like it's not there magical. really there really <laughs> wasn't even one other person around because it was it wasn't like the area was cordoned off or anything yeah, MJ yeah. easily ran back there. So, so yeah, that was in the back of my mind. I also thought um, their conversation, like when MJ was telling Peter how she felt, the dialogue, it might not have been like the sharpest of the movie. Teens are stupid. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that teens are capable of coming up with, you know, epic poetry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have wanted poetry, but I think how she... But soft. <laughs> the light through yonder window breaks. <laughs> it is the east, and Spider-Man is the west, <laughs> or the, Dang, the sun, dude. Or <laughs> dude, yeah. any uh, ladies listening to our podcast right now you should holler at Albert. Yeah, he has a lot more to give you. I'm here to make you swoons. Make gives you the swoons, dude. I'm sitting here. I'm almost <laughs> swooning myself, man. Almost swooning. Like you got me halfway off my chair. Yeah. <laughs> Any closer, I'll be in your lap. So maybe I don't want to uh, do this anymore. Yeah, maybe maybe not say any more poetry at me. Just just like just grunt and growl instead. You know? Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, that's enough, Night Monkey. <laughs> so what were you saying? Yeah, I, I was just saying, I, 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 I think if somebody came up to me after the movie and said, man, that speech that, that MJ gave him at yeah. the end was kind of corny, I'd be like, well, I can't really... Defend it. Defend, it'd be hard for me to defend it. Yeah. But again, it's not something that detracted from my enjoyment of the of the movie. It didn't. Yeah. It wasn't egregiously bad. It wasn't yeah. anything where I was like, "This You're is the so straw that beautiful. broke the camel's back." Yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't like that. It, it didn't turn into a joke for me. You know. I didn't like, roll my eyes. Yeah. It, it yeah. was just. It was just like okay. So she's just yeah. kind of being explicit about how, or just I don't know. It's it's almost. I think the problem for me was that it was a case where she was telling instead of showing. You know, that basic rule of storytelling where yeah. you want to show, not tell. But she was basically just explaining, oh, I... I've always liked you. Be- yeah, yeah. And, and I've just always had a hard time letting people in or whatever. Yeah. Like, it, it... I it, think the other thing about It was that, very convenient uh, just to kind of put a bow tie in yeah. and, like, resolve that quickly. That's true. Um, I think the thing about that final speech for me was that it wasn't a long speech. Like, she just kind of gave it out, put it out in a couple of sentences. So, yeah, it'd be different if Claremont had written it and it was <laughs> just this, like, long thing that droned on and on. Then I, I would have been more likely to roll my eyes at that. And yeah, just be like, for oh, sure. And this is just too much exposition. For sure. But because it was short and brief enough. I could kind of I, I accept it as just that's just her telling him what's up. Yeah. You know? So yeah. So I buy it. Um, I also thought the movie did a good job with um, using her to move the plot along because without her uh, interest in Peter, she wouldn't have found that uh, hollow projector. Hollow projector. Yeah, yeah, and that pretty much saved the day. Yeah. Even even their other classmates like the thing with ned and betty that was pretty funny like yeah. that i think throughout the whole movie i was just laughing at all of their scenes yeah yeah then there is that whole thing at the end where they're trapped in that room when the drones are trying to destroy them kill yeah. them and like right before they go inside the door happy finds that shield and he, he just <laughs> throws it and like it just, fails miserably it, it, it was pretty hilarious yeah like and he's just like how does captain america do this yeah <laughs> He he doesn't throw it very far at all. <laughs> not a, not far at all. It, it it flew like four feet and just clanged on the ground. Yeah, it that was a scene where I looked at Shanice and we just started laughing. <laughs> um, I do. There are some other things that I wanted to discuss, but I have to discuss the end credit scene in mm, order to yeah, let's, uh, discuss them. Let's. So, uh, there are points in the movie where I'm watching it and. There are things that Nick Fury are doing that I think as a comic book fan, I it didn't seem right to me or mm-hmm. it seemed out of character for Nick Fury. Like what's an example? So there is the scene where they have to fight the fourth elemental, the lava monster. Mm-hmm. They've, they're working with Quentin Beck and they've already established that this lava creature is going to occur in this specific location mm-hmm. so they've they've decided okay we're gonna go there uh, mysterio and spider-man are gonna go there and they're gonna engage this lava monster mm-hmm. the thing is the location where it's happening is in the middle of this festival that's yeah. taking place and it's just full of people the carnival yeah and in my mind i'm just like wait nick fury didn't decide to close this off 
He's got all these resources. He's able to yeah. hijack Peter's vacation, but he doesn't decide to shut down this area. Yeah. And what's hap- what's going to happen is it's going to endanger hundreds, if not thousands of people. Mm-hmm. So that didn't make sense to me at all. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. Yeah, and someone can even make the argument that... Trusting Mysterio in the first trusting place Mysterio was a in the first choice. Place was, yeah, out of character for Nick yeah. Fury. So I when watching the movie... I those things were things that stuck out to me. Yeah. But then in the cutscene at the end there's a revelation. The very at end the credits. very very end of the movie. It turns out that those weren't uh Maria Hill and Nick Fury at all. Yeah. They were two scrolls that were impersonating it was, them. It was Ben Mendelssohn's scroll from yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Marvel exactly. and his wife. His actual wife? I think so. Oh. I think I think that was his wife. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, that's a nice little touch. Well, the character's know. wife. I don't know if it was oh, his, okay. the actor's wife. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure it's Less not. so. Less yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> but when they revealed that, I was like, that makes way more sense now. Like, Or that yeah. explains the way um, Nick Fury's... I mean, he wasn't completely incompetent in the movie or anything. Like, yeah. He wasn't a bumbling idiot. Yeah. But... He that explains why he trusted Quentin Beck yeah, so readily. Exactly, and they worked it into the movie. So yeah. I was watching this, and it, when they did that, I, there, there was a spark of joy. Yeah, uh, like I was like, man, they covered their bases on this. And, and did you uh, notice how that other agent that was in the movie, Dimitri? Yeah. Did you know that the chameleon's first name is Dimitri? Oh, I, <laughs> I did not know that, but I remember looking at that, and I it did make me think. I, I did have a thought about that because I was like, I bet he's somebody. I don't know who, but I bet he's somebody. That'd be cool if they integrated the chameleon into the stories too. Cause, yeah. So the the chameleon in the comics is another Spider-Man supervillain who is this he's master a of uh, disguise. Changer. Yeah, a face changer, master of disguise, impersonator. That's that's basically his whole mo. He's a like a super spy essentially. Yeah. So it makes. It it if I don't know if that was a coincidence or if that was intentional that they would have a character named Dimitri in a movie that was all about deception. I you know what? The last movie introduced the Scorpion and we didn't actually we we haven't seen yeah, much from that's him either. True. So we I saw Mac Gorgon. There's a part of me that believes that they're building up to something. Uh, or you know, at, at the very least, there it adds to more of the. It's a it's a bigger nod to the universe of Spider-Man as a whole. Yeah. I mean, this guy Dimitri, not only if he is the chameleon, not only does he share the same name. I mean, the chameleon from what I remember was an ex-KG or not even ex, but he was a KGB spy. Yeah. 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 So, and this guy clearly worked in intelligence or ops. Do so. you think there's any chance he was a scroll? I don't know. Uh no, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Cuz he wasn't with them towards the end. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with no. Yeah. yeah. We should we should go back uh to the mid-credit scene, but let's finish off talking about that end credit scene. Yeah. So we see the real Nick Fury waking up or not waking up, but he's just chilling in a in a space cruiser or some, yeah. somewhere in space on some ship. It looks like it's a platform of some sort. Some sort of construction. They're yeah. building something, right? Yeah. 
and it's a bunch of scrolls. So implications for future stories is interesting. Yeah. My friend asked me about that and he asked what my thoughts were. And the only thing, the first thought that I could come up with was he's building, building sword. sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know comics, sword is an organization that was created by Joss Whedon, which was the space version of shield. Yeah. Um, so with Nick Fury there in space, constructing this, uh, platform, it would sort of make sense Especially now that we live in a world where, I mean, is S.H.I.E.L.D. still around? In, S.H.I.E.L.D. is not around. Yeah, so in, in a post-S.H.I.E.L.D. world, especially uh, if you're still going to involve Nick Fury, it would make sense that he's building, an in, in this new world order, a, a space version of an intelligence agency. Something that can defend Earth and prepare Earth against uh, extraterrestrial threats. Do you remember exactly. what S.W.O.R.D. stands for? Uh, I don't know. Does it, does it stand for... I think it stands for Sentient World Observation... Recon? Reconnaissance and Defense? Maybe. That would make sense. I, I, I Anyway, but S.W.O.R.D. is... Yeah, it's it's a space version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. that Joss Whedon, uh, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly. He, he and wrote, he was the director for the first two And the director Avengers. of the first two mo- Avengers yeah. movies. He he wrote uh, an X-Men series back in the early, mid-2000s. Yeah, I have it right here. Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We weren't too far off. Yeah. We know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he created that in his X-Men run. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty... Uh, it's kind of a fun nod if that is what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other... The, the the second to last end credit scene the was mid-credit a fun... Scene. The mid-credit yeah. scene was a fun one, too. Um, that was that was big, actually. That it was huge. Massive implications it for the next huge. Spider-Man story. Yeah. So, the second to... The mid-credit scene... At, at the end of the movie, Spider-Man and MJ go out on their first date, and... Uh, you know, it just kind of cuts off there. But the mid-credit scene is uh, Spider-Man. After swinging around town with MJ, he drops her off, and you know, this is kind of their first experience together. And they're saying their goodbyes, and then suddenly there's a flash on the screen on, on this giant telev- uh basic TV screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something that is more or less on projected on the side of a wall. Yeah, uh, of a of a skyscraper or a building, so everyone's watching this. The you know everyone in the vicinity is watching this. It's all over the news. It's the Daily Bugle. It's the Daily Bugle. Dot net. Dot net, <laughs> and it's presented in almost like, like Info Alex Wars Jones, or like something. Info Wars, exactly. <laughs> and then the great thing is we see. Uh, I forget what the actor's J.K. Name is. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, who was the original. J. Jonah Jameson from the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. He is back and reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson. That is perfect. Which is just so, so good. He was an awesome J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, like, I really don't feel that he could be topped. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, So, we see him on this screen, and apparently, he has gotten footage of Mysterio's final moments and we as the viewers know that this footage has been doctored heavily. Yep. But the footage 
shows Spider-Man giving the order to use the drones to... Execute them all. Execute them all. <laughs> I did was... think during that actual scene when he said that, yeah. I thought that was a funny way to phrase it. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. like, I wonder if that's going to bite him in the butt later on. And it did. <laughs> so what Spider-Man was trying to do was, the, the question was, do you wish to execute all the uh, something protocols, all the like shutdown protocols yeah. or something like that, something to that effect? Yep. And he goes, yes, execute them all. And what we see is that footage was now taken and uh, by one of Quentin Beck's associates, um, you know, who was sitting in a command center somewhere. He took that, that footage. The bald guy. The bald guy, and he doctored it. Actually, we should check to see who that bald guy is. There's a chance he could be someone too. He well, there was a scene when when uh, Beck was giving him. the speech. Yeah, he named him. He was he was a guy who dealt with uh, Obadiah Stane oh. from the first yeah, Iron yeah, Man. You're right. I, f- I forget his name or what his exact role was, but that's where he comes from. He so there's a chance he could be somebody too. Yeah, he's somebody who who. Yeah, he. I think. He, I think the actor was actually in the first Iron Man movie, but I'd have to check Wikipedia or something. Yeah. I, I do think that that scene was kind of cool where they were showing everybody back and how they how they appeared in all the other movies. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that that was kind of a fun scene. That was. But, um, yeah, so the footage shows Spider-Man cut off from his feet down and saying, execute them all. And uh, J. Jonah Jameson is building this narrative that says that Spider-Man was behind the drone attack on London. He killed yeah. Mysterio. He killed Mysterio and uh, he was going to use the drones to attack the city. Mm-hmm. But then the thing about the footage that was additionally added was Quentin Beck going, Spider-Man is Peter Parker. And it just cuts off with Spider-Man going, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so he is revealed to the world to be Peter Parker. Yeah. And... It's a heck of a note to leave the movie off on. It's It makes me super excited to see the next Spider-Man. Yeah, it's huge, man. Spider-Man 3, Homeward Bound. Ooh. Well, I don't know if that's the actual title. I was just coming no, up with like, names of films. You home. know what? That's, <laughs> I was, so I was talking with my friend Edmund, who I saw the movie with, and he was like, "If since they're using home for all these uh, titles, what's what do you think the next one is? And I just couldn't come up with it for the life of me. I was like... Um, What's it called? Home is where the heart is. Homesick. Yeah. Well, Homeward Bound is perfect, though. <laughs> I think Homeward Bound, it just, it sounds good rolling off the tongue. It sounds good in the ear. I had this conversation with Shanus earlier after the movie, too. Yeah. And one of the things we were joking about was uh, with Spider-Man's identity exposed, Peter Parker has to go into hiding. So yeah. in the next movie, it's Spider-Man homeschool because he has to finish his high school education. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oddly enough, um, I was asked by my friend, like, what I thought the next movie would be about. Mm -hmm. And the first thought that I came up with was, I do think that they could still do a version of the Sinister Six. So if if this movie is about how Spider-Man, or if this movie ends on the note where Spider-Man's identity is revealed to the world. Mm-hmm. I could see it being this the the next movie being about him being on the run and all the various forces using all the supervillains that they have in custody to go after him. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance we could see the Vulture back because he's not dead. Yeah, uh, we could see Scorpion. Yep, 
Um, the bald guy? The bald guy. Like, I, the thing is, Mysterio is a master of uh, illusion, so... You think there's any chance he's still out there? I don't know if he... It's hard for Cause me I, to say. I thought he... I thought he was dead. Um, I mean, it seemed like Peter confirmed yeah. with the glasses and all. Yeah. The other thing is that we were talking about the Infowars footage or the Daily Bugle footage. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about it how, as if the bald guy created it. But I think... Um, Quentin Beck might have done it before he died. Well, that was kind of the implication, right? Yeah. Like in in the within the movie itself, that was what was implied. But yeah. but I'm like you, I, I my like think after I reflected about it, I I actually think that the bald guy created that footage. But I don't know what if there is a chance that Quentin Beck yeah. did have time to make that footage. Yeah, I don't know if it matters much if he's dead anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. Personally, I would I would be okay if they left him dead. Yeah, I wouldn't really need to see him come back. Uh, but yeah, like you're saying, they have a good amount of yeah. characters or villains that they could use. Heck, they got Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> if he's a bad guy, I don't know. The other thing, well, so I think we've been trained as the viewers of these movies to watch for the setup. Mm-hmm. And talking about this now, I think I do... I think I'm actually okay if they just introduce all of them, like... They don't all have to have backstories. They could just be faceless thugs that are trying to kill Spider-Man. Yeah, they could and, have an Electro with no backstory. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I, like I'm, I I I'm curious to see what the masses think of only because I have a morbid curiosity. <laughs> like if they'd be mad or if they'd feel like they were, um, you know, robbed of something. Yeah. I I hope not because. You know, we saw the shocker in the first Spider-Man, and yeah. he didn't have a backstory. He was just a thug. He was yeah. just a, a, a foot soldier or a henchman. So, and, and you know, I, I didn't feel like I was missing anything. Totally. You know, so if we do this movie, this uh, third movie, uh, Homeward Bound, because <laughs> no, think about it. If it's about Spider-Man being on the run, yeah. and the Sinister Six and the government forces going after him, and it's about him trying to come home, right? Yeah. So that would sort of make sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Another idea for a setup could be an adaptation of something like Ultimate Six. Mm. Like, the idea of these hardened criminals basically coming together, especially because they know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man now. Yeah. They can take his loved ones hostage. Yeah. And force him to work with them. Yeah, force him to commit crimes or or do things that he doesn't want to do. Yeah, like there's there's an inherent sense of danger because one of the things with his identity being exposed is that now everybody that he knows is at risk. Yeah, so it, it's another burden for yeah. the character. You know, we're, we're we were talking about how he's this teenager who wants to be a teenager, but. He can't anymore. He's got yeah. all these things that, that are crazy. Taken yeah, it's completely from taken from him. Yeah. His life's not going to be the same, you know, yeah. unless like what if what if what if they did a story where Okay, so his identity's been revealed, but you know, 
we live in an age where attention spans are short and people forget things quickly. So 24 hours later, some other big news comes yeah. up and nobody really cares about who he is. That'd would you would you buy that or would you think that was a cop out? I think that's a cop out. Okay. Like, cause even okay, even let's say if the mass, the general mass attention span is short. Yeah. It's not like people don't remember at all, mm-hmm. and it's not like they can't just bring it back up. You know. Um, what if, what if what about a story where his identity is revealed, but it turns out. Uh, the masses in the Marvel universe, or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the average citizen doesn't believe the doctored footage, and they still believe that he's a hero who's being framed. Yeah, well, that was what exact. Uh, that was along the lines of what I was just about to talk about, which was mm-hmm. it's interesting that Jader Jonah Jameson is set up as this Infowars guy, right? Yeah. So. His credibility is like... Yeah, exactly. You've got to be skeptical unless you're on a certain spectrum, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we could definitely see a story where that kind of tests the boundaries of... Or not not tests the boundaries, but mirrors the reality that we live in now with fake news as as a topic. Fake news. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see that. Um, Especially since Spider-Man originally or for the longest time was a photojournalist mm-hmm. so there's there's a lot of elements there that could be very interesting like i i mean i'm not a writer or anything so it's it's hard for me to develop a plot or anything around that right now off the top of my head yeah. but i i do think the elements are there to tell a story that kind of has some sort of commentary on the the state of current news, which would be super unexpected, but super interesting. Also. Yeah. I'd be super interested I would be, to see, I would be into that. To see uh, what kind of story and what kind of commentary they have to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I could imagine the next Spider-Man story dealing with the aftermath of this and, and depicting it in such a way where, there are people in their world who find that information hard to believe and they, yeah. or they reject it because um, they don't trust the source. And then there are other people who are like, no, you, can't you see all the dots are connected? Yeah. You know, it's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, Peter is able to kind of live his life because... There's enough people out there who find the dailybugle.net to be uh, dubious. dubious. Um, but at the same time, it's still enough to disrupt his life where he can't yeah. be comfortable. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think I could see... I feel like we're more likely to see that than a story where Spider-Man and Aunt May go underground entirely. Yeah, have yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. live off the grid or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we combine that with your, uh, your Sinister Six premise, yeah, um, that probably would make more sense, right? So, uh, what and so I could picture it disrupting his life as Spider-Man, but also definitely disrupting his life as Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and just kind of hobbling him. But then you get the threat of all these supervillains who know who he who he is, and they just decide. 
let's just go to his house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So that would be pretty sinister. Um, that would, yeah, definitely up the the threat level of it, though. Totally, yeah. man. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to see that. Yeah. I always liked the Ultimate Six storyline. Yeah. Uh, it, it was a comic in the Ultimate Universe where Spider-Man's individual foes learned his identity. Yeah. Um, and th- they basically... They break out of jail. Yeah, they break out of jail and force him... Like, there's five of them, and yeah. they force him to be the sixth member of the Sinister Six. I, remember I mean, they don't call themselves the Sinister Six, yeah. but... They're just the six. The six, yeah. Like I remember when that comic came out, they were marketing it like, oh, there's a sixth mysterious member. Yeah, we're not going to tell I you remember who that. it is. I remember yeah. that too. So, like, you had the five members that they showed on the cover, and then I think at the end I of the first issue... I think it was issue, uh, Norman Osborn, Dr. Octopus... Craven the Hunter. Craven, Electro... Sandman. And Sandman, yeah. yeah. So you're just like, who's that? Who's the sixth member? Are they going to yeah. introduce Mysterio yeah. or Chameleon or right. whatever? And then the revelation was, it's Spider-Man himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, back to that earlier thought. I, like, I would not have a problem if they just introduced the, these, the new six as just nameless, not nameless, but just. They don't need you know, detailed backstories. They don't, they don't. I don't need to know that his parents didn't love him and that he's sworn vengeance against ice cream men because he feels like they were responsible for. You know why he went broke. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I will curse Cherry Garcia ice cream <laughs> till the day I die. I will not rest until I've ruined your ice cream empire. <laughs> Imagine hating ice cream that much. That's a hard life, man. Yeah, how, man. how are you going to hate on ice cream? It's a delicious treat. <laughs> so, what, what can you tell us about how Peter deals with losing his secret identity in the comics. Like, cause I, th- I think generally speaking, Spider-Man is the character who has done very good job in preserving the yeah. concept of a secret identity. But what was it? 12 years ago, there was a major era in Spider-Man's life in the comics where he was, his identity became public knowledge. He revealed himself to the world, mm-hmm. uh, in good faith in the hopes that, taking that step would lead to a safer life for him because he believed that he believed that the uh, forces that he had aligned himself with would be able to protect him Mm -hmm. and doing that would show the rest of the superhero community that there was nothing to be afraid of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it came out during uh, the original civil war event miniseries written by Mark Miller, drawn by Steve McNiven. Yeah. So there was a thing called the Superhuman Registration Act where the government, after a major tragedy involving superheroes, the government wanted all the superheroes to register with them. Yeah. Half the community didn't want to. Half of them were supportive of the act. So Iron Man was part of the group that was in favor of the Superhuman Registration Act and Captain America led the faction that was against it. Iron Man roped Spider-Man onto his side and as a result Spider-Man gave a press conference where he revealed his yeah. his identity to the world and ended up causing him a lot more problems yeah which was to be expected yeah i mean at the end of the day they weren't able to 
it it led to his aunt May being shot mm-hmm. and well there were like a, a lot of other things tied <laughs> to that but I'm not gonna go into it. Um, what was your original question? I like, guess I was just wondering what what were your thoughts on how the comics have handled that concept. Uh, and if, if is there anything that we can glean into, you know, maybe some insight as to how the movies might approach it, or or I don't know, at least some context for like how things happened in the comics. Yeah, I think there are a lot of, uh, in, especially in recent years, there have been a lot of stories with a lot of different characters that have played with the idea of revealing their um, secret identities mm-hmm. and it always felt like Spider-Man above all else was one of the characters that you didn't do that to yeah you, you know like um, I remember in the comics Iron Man was constantly getting revealed as Tony Stark and yeah. then saying no it was a trick and then people would believe it and it was and then, it just happened enough times where after a like, while it'd just be like are people idiots <laughs> like what yeah how, how often can you come up with excuses like that yeah it happened to Daredevil once, and that was a really yeah. well-done story. And yeah. for the longest time, uh, different writers dealt with various ways of just working around it. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Brian Michael Bendis's, uh and Brubaker's approach to it was, or and even Mark Wade was probably the most realistic approach, which was um, they just kind of... Matt Murdock just kind of continued living his life. And he was just like, look, if anyone asks, I'm going to deny it. And it's going to become an urban legend over time. And people are going to either believe it or they won't. But, you know, until they catch me, until they, like, prove it, prove it, like, it's just going to be out there, Mm -hmm. you know? And he just lived his life with the consequences of it. Yeah. Uh, Charles Sewell, uh, he basically put the genie back in the bottle, but in one of the most convoluted, ridiculous <laughs> ways that you could do it. Let's hear it. Uh, there's a character by the name of Purple Man who has the bill. Who he's got pheromones that mind control people. If you've watched Jessica Jones season one, yeah, you'll you know, know who this he character. is. Yeah, Kilgrave. Uh, Kilgrave, Jebediah Kilgrave. Zebediah. Zebediah Kilgrave. But apparently, he's got a bunch of. Uh, illegitimate children illegitimate children (laughs) that he had out of wedlock and I I haven't read this arc but I just remember reading this somewhere might have been Wikipedia or something but it was not something that really appealed to me so someone took all these kids and used their pheromones to blanket the city of New York giving the entire city if not the world (laughs) like collective amnesia oh yeah, I think it might even be the world. It it would have to be the world because if you leave New York and someone told you, yeah. what would be the point of that? Yeah. <laughs> so they gave the entire world collective selective amnesia. Yeah, say that ten times fast. <laughs> I don't even want to say it one time slow. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely don't want them to do that to Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> um. I I I guess the. So the way that I see it playing out in the movies and it's it's probably not something connected to anything I've seen in comics or at least nothing that I can recall at the moment but 
we've already established that Mysterio is a master of illusions and he knows how to use technology to generate holograms and, uh, you know, spread false information. So mm-hmm. the most likely thing is they'll probably reveal like Mysterio to be behind the drones attacking yeah. and they also revealed to him, or if not him, the bald guy, to be liars that they're going to... Liars! Yeah, and it'll probably put that genie back in the bottle for Spider-Man. Uh, it's it's the most likely and the most logical mm-hmm. uh, conclusion. But, you know what? These movies, sometimes they surprise you, so... Yeah. Yeah. But as long as the surprise is a good surprise, I don't want them <laughs> to use, um, you know, kids with mind control hormones to give the world collective selective amnesia <laughs> i don't want that <laughs> no i don't want that either i don't think anybody wants that um maybe there's a charles sewell fan who'd want that that's true maybe they'd be like that was like the coolest idea ever i really want to see that happen on the screen if you are a charles soul fan who enjoyed that comic please get in contact with us so we can pick your brain and understand what you appreciated about it we need to talk yeah we need to talk it might be more like an intervention, <laughs> but we would still like to talk with you. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on um, how they're going to try to resolve this? Uh, nothing too specific. Yeah. Just generally, I, I was thinking again, just going back to what I said earlier, how I, I probably expect them to do a story where there are people that reject the footage because of the dubious source. Yeah. There might be people that may even believe the footage, but they actually support Spider-Man because they believe he's a hero. Yeah. And and they they don't believe that he's a mass murderer like that. Yeah. So they'll be fine with it. Like, even if they, even if they know his identity, they're not people that are going to, you know, harass him or, or do anything. And then you'll have a faction of people... You know, people who are easily riled up by um, a demagogue or yeah. a conspiracy theorist, and you know, people who organize themselves into movements and yeah. and end up wanting to harass someone who really did nothing to them. Yeah. So that's probably how I would envision it playing yeah. out. I mean, even in the version that I was describing to you, now that we've talked about it a little more, like when I think about it, even even if they reveal that, oh, Mysterio is a liar all along and mm-hmm. this all this footage was doctored, like, in the current environment that we live in, I can totally picture that there would be people who would not give that Oh, yeah, up, yeah. And they'd still just... They'd, they'd hunker down even more so yeah. with the belief that you know, Peter Parker is now Spider-Man more than ever. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just the government trying to protect one of their agents, you know, yeah. like people or whoever, yeah. their Avengers or whoever r- runs... The world or who has all the power yeah they're just trying to cover themselves yeah but and in real life that's just how it yeah there's it's always like it's sad but that's some how people, it would be. some people still believe the earth is flat yeah and i just wish that they would walk off the ledge of it <laughs> <laughs> i wish that they would just keep walking and walk off the the end of it just so that we don't have to have their jeans swimming around <laughs> in our pool <laughs> Well, oh yeah, I, I forgot to mention, but one thing I was glad to see in the movie was that the there is no multiverse. 
Yeah, I. I, I was kinda, relieved. I was relieved. My friend, uh, the friends that I watched it with, one of them was kind of dis- was disappointed, and I was, I was like, you know what, I'm fine with not having multiverse. I I, I even had that conversation with them uh, after the movie, where I was saying the the concept of a multiverse, although it could be done well, for the most part, it's kind of corny, and it's it's an idea that's a little too comic booky for for movies it's like i'm i think i would be okay with it if they used it as a single story but yeah if it's a well that they're constantly dipping their toes into like if they're yeah, yeah if yeah. if every every situation they face can be resolved with getting help from the multiverse or assembling everybody from all the different multiverses ah that's that's lame it's i don't want to see that yeah. yeah the the thing that i was mentioning was that it's part of the reason why I can't get behind the Flash show because every season they're just dipping into the multiverse. Yeah. There's always a multiverse story. Yeah. And it's like, hey, your friend died, but we'll get to see him again in the multiverse form. And it's yeah. just like, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, um, for a thing that's a deus ex machina, it's like a very deus ex machina because <laughs> mm-hmm. it just allows convenient, uh, solutions to things yeah yeah so i'm not i'm not too into it there was a part of me that while watching the movie and i don't know if you had the same thought but since we i'm since i'm assuming that we both were prior to watching the movie had it in our minds that quentin beck was probably lying to Nick Fury and Spider-Man and you know there would be some mm-hmm. sort of reveal or reversal at some point mm-hmm. part of me did think that the story would be that Quentin Beck was from an alternate dimension but he wasn't what he was saying that he was in that dimension and mm. that's why he had that all this technology that allowed him to create these mm. you know um, holograms and stuff yeah. so my thought process was he was Actually, from one of the multiverse dimensions, but he wasn't the. He was a villain in that multiverse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I'm glad. That, I'm also kind of relieved that they didn't do that. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm perfectly content with just the story being what it is. If mm-hmm. anything, it adds to the like humor of uh, Quentin Beck and Mysterio because there there was that one scene in the movie where he was like. I mean, multiverse, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. It made like, me laugh, yeah. too. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Where he was just like, come on, that's just a ridiculous idea. What is this? <laughs> so I was behind that. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yeah. Any other thoughts on the movie? I- I'm sure I'm going to mer- like be rolling stuff around in my head for the next couple of days. It- it's something that I did enjoy. But I, as of right now, I feel like I've... Uh, I've put it all out there and I've said everything that I needed to say. I'm pretty satisfied with the movie. Uh, yeah, I was satisfied I, yeah, too. Yeah, I think it's a good sequel. I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a good end note for phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Would you buy this movie to own it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'd watch it again in theaters. So I, I... Yeah, if you know us, like, wanting to own it is probably the <laughs> um, highest praise that we could yeah. give it. Right, like, why would I not want? Why would I want to have it in my home if I hated it? <laughs> and, and you got to remember, we're we're old men, so we actually <laughs> like to own 
physical editions of things. We, it's, we're not content just to sign up for a subscription service to stream it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts? Um, no, not not unless you have any ideas about what's coming next on Marvel Slate. But I don't think they've announced what's next, have they? I mean. It's nothing different from what we've discussed in previous episodes. Yeah. So I'm maybe maybe in a month or two, or maybe at Comic Con they'll yeah, yeah. share like more information or even have some teasers up or something. Yeah. But I, I guess I'm just looking forward to what's next with the MCU. Well, uh, I did have one oh. thought at the end of the movie, but yes, <laughs> let's hear it. So. Um, this is uh, okay. Just say it. It was a. Uh, I was. It got me thinking about Venom, the movie. Okay. And I remember having a conversation with a buddy of mine, and we were talking about how the first Venom movie had him fight this one symbiote. I don't know what was his name, Rage or something. Uh, thing. It was lame. I forgot his name. Yeah, that it, movie sucked. It it was a terrible movie, but um, so it had him fighting one of his rogues, quote unquote whatever that means one of Venom's rogues one of Venom's Uh rogues which was just another weak symbiote 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 (laughs) that we'd never heard of okay fine whatever and then it revealed at the end of that one that uh, he was fighting Carnage or like it. oh yeah Woody Harrelson Woody Harrelson was revealed to be Cletus Cassidy Cletus Cassidy which is gonna be Carnage. Yeah. If if you know comics, you'll know that Cletus Cassidy is Carnage. Yeah. So if they do a Venom two, in all likelihood, you'll see Carnage. Mm-hmm. So the conversation we were having, and this was like a long time ago. This was when Venom came out. Yeah. Was, well, if Carnage is the most well known villain that he has, that Venom has, or Spider-Man? that Venom has. Okay. Like, what do you do after that? How do you top that? So. Like, if they ever... Assuming that it's a trilogy movie, right? Uh Who does he fight in the third one? And the thought that came to me at the end of this, and it was just, you know... It was just stream of consciousness, but... Spider-Man? It's probably going to be Spider-Man, and the third one is how you top it. Like, yeah. So... So, even after this third Spider-Man movie, we'll probably see him again, if I had to guess, in Venom 3... Do you think that they would have a crossover? Because Ven- the Venom movie isn't part of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, I I I think. You think they would get the Tom Holland Spider-Man for yeah. Venom Three? Yeah, I think. You know what? I think. Uh, Marvel and Sony would probably work something out. It would make sense for that to be in there so okay assuming that spider-man 3 comes out and ends the spider-man you know uh trilogy well is it a trilogy that's the thing i mean i uh, this was another actually this was another thing i was discussing with shana as we were walking out from the movie because we were thinking or he was saying how um if it's not a trilogy, they can continue doing sequels of Spider-Man, doing do a bunch of movies moving forward. Um, because Tom Holland is still pretty young. Yeah. He's probably in his early 20s or so. Yeah. And the Spider-Man character in the films is, 
Well, he said he was 16. Yeah. So you can do a series of movies where he actually grows up into adulthood. And then you could introduce Miles Morales at some point and have an adult Peter Parker mentor him. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's a chance that we could not see a trilogy-style... set up for the movies like it could end up being something like james bond or something where he's just spider-man <laughs> throughout a bunch of movies so you're you're totally right um but yeah what i was gonna say and it sort of what if venom 3 had the andrew garfield spider-man in it i'd be behind that i like andrew garfield yeah and i want him to get a little bit of love that I'll, guy I'll that guy just got that. crap all over him i know that <laughs> was yeah <laughs> yeah Venom 3 starring Spider-Man. That would... <laughs> that would be interesting because... I, would, I, I might actually watch that in theaters just <laughs> just because, you know? Yeah. Like Venom, the first Venom, that was something I just borrowed for free from the library because I knew I wasn't going to spend money on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that movie was bad. It was pretty bad. It was, uh... You know what? I'm glad that, uh... Tom... Tom Hardy. Hardy got paid. I'm glad that people like him. Those are probably the best things that I can say about that movie. He was the only reason I've watched the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Uh, No, I guess that's about it for now. Although knowing us, we'll probably think of something really witty like in two hours from now. Okay, well, I'm just, uh, I want to give a shout out to my friends at Beefyco, B E E F Y C O, at beefyco.com. Uh, go visit their site. Uh, they're going to be at uh, the LA Night Market this weekend, and uh, the next following week, or two weeks from now, we're going to be at San Diego Comic Con. So, you know, if you're there, please go see their booth, uh, see their wares. Um, just go to their website and see if there's anything that you want to pick up they've got a lot of good stuff cool thanks for listening catch you next time thank you bye